Please, I'd like you to invite to go back to your seats if possible. So, welcome to the second session of uh, today's workshop. Uh, I'm very, it's Georgia. a great pleasure and honor to introduce the next two speakers. Actually, I feel a bit embarrassed because introducing Sasha here is like introducing the host to his own house somehow. Um, Sasha Stern is the head of the Department of Hebrew and Jewish Studies here at UCL. And he's also the principal investigator of the ERC project calendars in late antiquity and the Middle Ages. And uh, together with his team, he has been organizing this very long and successful series of workshops. And this one is one of these workshops. Uh, he's the author of Calendars and Community, uh, 2001, Time and Process in Ancient Judaism, 2003, Calendars in Antiquity, 2012, and also an intimidating amount of articles on these and other topics. The title of his talk today is Women and Common Folk in Medieval Jewish Calendar Text. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> and um, yes, it's interesting that um, Ephraim mentions women quite a lot of times, and then women comes up again. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe I'll just, I'll just stand here. Yeah, um, I'll stand here, then I'll voice yeah, I just find it interesting that uh, that that women is again uh, at the fore of, of my paper, and that raises of course questions about gender and uh, the relationship between scholarship and popular culture. Um, but what I'm going to be talking is about the Jewish calendar. So, um, just as a general introduction, the Jewish calendar, as we now know it, was established in the ninth century, finalised. Um, more or less at that time. As a calendar based on a calculation, it was the most accurate lunar calendar in the world. I think we can still say that uh, it is the Jewish calendar is the most, even today, the most accurate calculated lunar calendar in the world. And this is because it's based on very precise astronomical values, in particular the Molad, which is the time, um, the, the mean time of conjunction of sun, sun and moon. Um, okay, so I'm not going to go into details about the nature of this calendar, but the point has to be made then that it is scientifically uh, very accurate and it is based on scientific values. Now, the calculation of the Jewish calendar is actually not very difficult. Maimonides says that children can master it in a few days, and he's absolutely right. Uh, school children could master it. It's not really difficult. But it does require a certain level of numeracy, which most uh, Jewish people, I dare say, at least in the Middle Ages, but possibly even today, uh, would have had um, uh, trouble with. So the question is, how did Jews, um, who are not scholars, work out or find out the dates of the calendar? Very practical sort of uh, information which uh, Jews and Jewish communities needed to have. Um, how in practice uh, could they follow a calendar that demanded a high level of uh, scholarly knowledge? Now, um, the, the answer to that question is partial, partially found in section two of the handout um, that I hope you've all got copies and I've given English translations, yes. Um, so, uh, passage number two is from uh, a liturgical work, the Mathlore Vitrine, 
which is describing the Sabbath service, and it says that um, if the new moon occurs during the following week, so if on a particular Sabbath uh, the new moon is due to occur during the following week, uh, the chazan, the reader, the cantor, depending on how you translate this, announces and tells the public when uh, the day when it has been fixed. So an announcement is made in the synagogue of uh, the forthcoming uh, new moon. This announcement uh, is then uh, spelt out at the end of the passage, so looking at the last few lines. The new moon so-and-so, so the new moon of such and such a month, will be on day so-and-so, so for example on Wednesday, on Thursday, or whatever. If there are two days, if it's celebrated over two days, so the two days, Wednesday and Thursday, or whatever um, is announced. This announcement of the new moon is still practiced in synagogues today, but today it has become a formality because everybody can find out very easily from a diary or a calendar when the date of the Jewish new month will be, but not so in the Middle Ages where, of course, there were no uh, printed or even handwritten uh, calendars for people to look at. Uh, it was actually very essential uh, for people to be given this information. Um, and uh, in fact, the same passage in the lines which I've skipped and which I'm going to now from line two uh, onwards, uh, the Mavzolvici <coughs> explains why one has to make this announcement. And he says, for the sake of the good order of the festivals and the good order of the additional prayers and Havel which are recited on the day of the new moon, and to keep women away from work on those days because there is a prohibition on women working on the days of. Uh, the new month. Uh, the Matalvity is French, early 12th century. Um, as far as I can tell, this is the earliest attestation we have of this custom. Um, it is then attested in a few more French sources from the 12th century, and it's only in subsequent centuries that it begins to spread in other parts of the Jewish world, and I think nowadays it's more or less uh, universally observed. Um, I don't know why this started specifically in France, and I don't know what happened before. Before these announcements were made in the synagogue, how did people find out? Uh, this is completely uh, obscure. The other question, which of course is not answered, is how did the reader or the cantor, yes, how did the chazan himself know which days to announce? Yes, this is not necessarily uh, automatic or straightforward. Um, now, the relationship between scholarly calendar knowledge and popular um, <coughs> calendar knowledge will be discussed in much more detail in uh, Nadia's presentation, and I'm only giving a very short presentation now. Um, all I want to do is to present two sources which uh, are hitherto unpublished, actually one has only just been published, um, which may shed light on this question. This is just fresh research which has emerged in the course of the project and which I just want to share with you. But just uh, let me just give one short introduction. And this is in section one of the handout. In section one of the handout, I explain that the Jewish calendar uh, has, in fact, only two variables. It, it's a completely fixed calendar, so it should remain, it should be the same every year, but for the exception of two variables. The first is that, okay, so all months, I'm reading from the handouts, all months in the Jewish calendar have a fixed length of either 29 or 30 days, which occur in alternation. 
except for two months, Nachashvan and Kislev, which can either have 29 and 29 days, so in that case the year is called sufficient, or they can have 29 and 30 days uh, respectively, in which case the year is called orderly, uh, or they can both have 30 days, in which case the year is full. But the Hebrew terms are chaserin, kesidran, and shevimim. So this is the first variable, and the second variable is that years can count either 12 or 13 months. Now the second variable depends on a fixed 19-year cycle. Uh, if you know the cycle, it is pretty easy to know whether the year you are in is plain with 12 months or intercalated with 13 months. Uh, it is actually quite easy to memorize this. But uh, the knowledge of whether the year is going to be sufficient or orderly or full uh, is a big challenge because there is no way of predicting it. There's no pattern, there's no sort of cycle or anything. It, just, it can only be worked out on the basis of a calculation of the molad, and this is where the difficulties come in. Okay, let's now go to the first of my two sources in section three. This is again from the Mahdor Bitri. It is actually from the earliest manuscripts we have of the Mahdor Bitri, which um, uh, contains a substantial calendar section, which is not found in the later uh, manuscripts, and which I have um, edited and published recently together with Eugenie Celeste in uh, Aleph. It's an, uh, an issue of Aleph which has uh, just come out just now. Um, it's a very important text. It's the earliest uh, text we have from Ashkenaz and northern France that has uh, astrological material in it. It's the earliest astrological uh, text we have, the earliest calendar source we have. And the manuscript is very early, and we were able to actually demonstrate that the date of the manuscript is uh, sometime between, sometime in the second quarter of the 12th century. So it's one of the earliest French manuscripts, actually, that we have. Um, so it is sort of historically quite an important source, but it also has a lot of very interesting discussions about the calendar, and uh, it's contemporary with a number of other works which were being produced in France in this period about the calendar, so it's interesting generally to see some sort of, uh, in the school of Russia particularly, uh, to see the sort of interest developing in the first half of the 12th century. So I'm not going to look at the Hebrew text, I'll just look at the translation, which is on the other side of the page. Um, so basically, um, the first paragraph um, is discussing, I I'm greatly simplifying, what I've given you on the page is a summary, and I'm going to summarize even more. But um, basically, the first paragraph is discussing the possibility of having three variable months in the year, instead of two. Yes? In the Jewish calendar, it's only two, but he's suggesting that if there were a third variable month in the year, this would introduce more flexibility in the calendar and would enable it to be um, even more accurate. So there would be some advantages uh, in this. But he then um, rejects, uh, he rejects this. And the reason he gives is as follows. Uh, and I'm going to skip uh, a few lines of the first paragraph uh, and just go to the last four lines. So Macheshvan and Kislev will be regular. So he's saying that um, he, he would prefer to stick to a calendar where um, where Machishvan uh, and Kislev, in this particular case that he's discussing, will be regular, but there will be no other variations made to the year. And it is better for us to do so, and not to make the common people, Amir Aretz, ask us if Tevet is full or not. In other words, if 
Tevel, Tevel, another month of the calendar, were to become variable, then we would be in a situation where common people would have to come and ask us about that month too, whether it is uh, full with 29 days, uh, 20, 30 days, sorry, or deficient with only um, uh, 20. So 29. when you say regular, you mean that one would be, just to make sure. Um, so at the moment, there are two months of the year where people have to ask us. If the third month were, asked, were added, there would no, be more but, questions. But if you say you suggest them to be, to be regular, then it means that Mahajban would have 29 days. In this particular, in, this in, in the context of the discussion, That's I'm, I'm really mean. simplifying it hugely. Yes. Um, I'm just, just, trying to, uh, yeah, just trying to explain what the main point for us is. Um, and then he goes on and says, but once they know whether Makhajban and Kislev are full, defective, or regular, they will know the rest of the year. So there, there are several assumptions uh, uh, in this very short uh, passage. First of all, that common people ask. <coughs> in other words, they, I, I think that's in itself interesting. Yes, that There is a demand for this kind of information, and they obviously go to they ask people who they think will be able to give answers. And the other assumption in this passage is that they have a pretty good knowledge of the calendar, because the only question they're asking is about these two months, whereas once they know these two months, uh, quote, they will know the rest of the year. So uh, they obviously know the whole succession of months and which are defective, which are full, and it's only the, the variables which they are concerned about. So even though they're called Amir Abits, which means common people, which can also mean ignorant people, they're obviously not as ignorant uh, as it seems. In the second paragraph, um, the Maxor Bitri continues uh, his discussion uh, and uh, with a similar sort of question. And uh, here the conclusion relates not to common people but to women. I think there's no significance in that. I think that the concepts are just interchangeable. It's just what sort of poetic license or whatever that he uses sometimes <coughs> one and sometimes the other. But he says, uh, it is better for us to postpone it. We will make Mahishwan Kislev effective. We will not trouble the women to ask us if Shabbat is full or not. So why are, are, why are women equated with common people? Is it because they are particularly ignorant? Or is it perhaps because it's more important for women to know about the dates of the new moon because of the prohibition on work, which only applies to women and not to men. So that, those are different uh, options to consider. And then in the third, uh, third and last paragraph, the Mathor Vitry then um, goes on to explain that the whole calendar was in fact designed to simplify things and uh, prevent mistakes on the part of ordinary people. So he says, we find an example of this in that out of concern that the common people get it right, they said that the month of Adar adjacent to Nisan is always defective, a passage from the Babylonian Talmud. The reason for this is that the people look at the festival of Purim, which is in Adar, and say that from Purim to Passover, which is in Nisan, there are 30 days. The people expect there to be um, 30 days between the two festivals. And if we were to make the Adar before Nisan sometimes full and sometimes defective, we would be troubling the people, again, this now they call Ha'am, the people, to ask us every year whether Adar is full or defective and whether they should be counting 30 days or 31 days from one festival to the other. And sometimes they could make a mistake 
and not to ask, and would come to eat leaven on Passover if they uh, celebrate Passover on the wrong date. Okay, so the general impression then that one gets from the Mazor Vitri is that um, popular knowledge of the calendar was certainly an issue. It's an issue to convey the right information to the people, and that it's something that the people would often come up and ask about. And I'd like now to turn to my second source, uh, which is now uh, completely unpublished. This is a um, Cairo Geniza fragment. Um, which belongs to, uh, uh, which I've joined with many other fragments, but it belongs to a polemical letter which was written in the summer of 922, uh, somewhere in the Near East, we're not sure uh, exactly where, uh, and it's a polemic against uh, Ben Meir, who was the son of the leader of the Palestinian community, and of a calendar which, or his calendar, calendar date which he had decreed and which um, the authorities in Babylonia were not happy with. Um, so yes, I, I say here, written in the Levant or Egypt, it's certainly somewhere between, between Egypt and Syria. That's probably where uh, the letter was, was written. Um, and um, the substance uh, uh, of the polemic itself is not important to us. I'm not going to explain what it's all about. The accusation which he levels against Ben Meir is polemic and completely false, uh, completely false accusation. But uh, what is important for us in this text is what it reveals uh, in a much earlier period, in the early 10th century, uh, about uh, popular calendar reckoning. So um, I'll read now. Um, his second lie and deceit was worse than the first one because he contrived something that even the common people, Amir Arvitz, do not say. For the common people are accustomed to say, if you want to know when Passover will be, count five days from the last Passover in a plain year, uh, and in a circulated year, make it like last year. So let me explain. What it means is that if, for example, last year Passover was on a Saturday, so you count five days from there, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and you'll know that next year Passover will be on Thursday. Okay, so that's 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 a <coughs> and if it's an intercalated year, so if it's a year of thirteen months, then make it like last year. So if last year it was on Saturday, next year it will be uh, also on Saturday. But uh, this main man came along and just trying clever to hide his words and conceal them, blah blah blah. He didn't even say like the common people regarding intercalated years, for they say that the majority of years are like last year, and so it is that the majority of intercalated years are like the previous year, whereas he says it as a minority, uh, and so on. So what we have here then is some sort of popular rule of thumb, um, which only in fact works in the majority of years. I haven't um, worked this out. Uh, I can tell you for certain that uh, it, it doesn't work every year at all. Yes, if you try to do this, uh, you'll end up with completely the wrong dates. But um, it's some sort of rule of thumb which is based on what is perceived as being the majority of cases, which is that in a normal year, um, the festivals in the next year will be five days of the week later, and in an intercalated year, it will be on the same day of the week. Um, and uh, it's a sort of, it's a rule of thumb which seems to have been used, uh, at least the way he says it, 
seems to have been used uh, by ordinary people in a context where information about the calendar was perhaps not that easy to get hold of. Um, and I, I don't, I can't really um, elaborate much on this. I don't know, um, I don't know to what extent this rule was, was actually used in practice um, by people, but he seems to say that this is what people did. And I, I wonder what would have happened, in fact, if they used it and this led them to different dates from the dates of the calculated calendar. Uh, but the interesting thing about this is that he seems a little bit to condone this practice. Yes, he seems to be saying that, well, um, yes, I mean, this is what popular people do. Um, ben Meir, of course, is wrong because he, he did even worse than what they do. He, he made it a minority, he didn't do it a majority, whatever exactly the, the nature of the accusation is. But uh, he seems not to have a major issue, at least, with uh, this uh, rule of thumb. And uh, finally, uh, uh, then this passage um, perhaps says something about the gap between um, the scholarly calculated calendar and popular applications of it. Um, okay, so that's it. Yeah. Thank you very much. We think we have uh, some five minutes, ten minutes for questions. So if anybody wants to start. Please. This actually sheds a little bit light. I'm now finishing the uh, afterword of Abraham Varpaya's work on the calendar, where he says that the many people can't do the calculations. I wanted to set something up where you don't even have to know them a lot. You don't have to be able to do any calculations whatsoever. And therefore, he's just giving the table at the end, where all you have to know is, is what year you're in. And it's all spelled out for there. They were just like three, three, uh, three, three pieces of data, and that's all. And then he gives it. Then the one table is that, and the other table is how that spells out, on how it plugs in all of his various festivals of the year. So actually, uh, coming at around the same time. Yeah, I think that's uh, that will be the subject of Nadia. Yeah. Nadia will be telling us all about that. Following um, uh, on then from, from the, the yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. But isn't there a calendar announcement in the Orient around this time? They have a calendar announcement once a year. Where once a year, yes, yes. Um, so that would be a source of information on calendar for them. Um, yeah, uh, the, 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 in, in the context of this whole correspondence of the, the polemic of 921-922, we are told that uh, the custom was for the um, the leaders of the Palestinian academies to go to Jerusalem and make a public announcement of the forthcoming date <coughs> of the year. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't know if we have much more information about this. There's a, a few to come. There's there's very limited information actually about this this custom, and it's difficult to know the history of it. You know, when it started and how long it went on for. Um, and um, that, that's, that's one, I mean, sometimes you get the impression from reading correspondence that it's just something that Ben Meir did just like that, but he wanted to do it, so he wanted to make a, it was another an ad hoc sort of announcement rather than a regular feature. There is a little bit of, of evidence for some sort of regular announcements, but we don't really know enough about that. And then there's a the whole question of dissemination, because this is really one announcement which is made in one place, and how do you get the information from there? 
to circulate across um, the whole uh, of the Near East um, is another question. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so you could say that that was a way of fixing it uh, in the Near East. And of course, in Western Europe, there was no such system, so it's a completely different um, world. Uh, in your text number three, he is um, he's, um, rejecting the idea that Hevet or Allah would be all defective. Did anyone actually say that? Or is he simply setting setting up a hypothesis and then shooting it down himself? Yeah, it's the latter. But what's the, what is the point? To show the, to show the logic of the calendar. He's, he's talking about postponements and about limits for postponements. And he's saying that you could reduce the number of postponements if there were just a little bit more flexibility. If the one more month were flexible, it wouldn't be necessary in some years to postpone the new year from its proper date. So the calendar would be more accurate that way. But it is purely speculative. It, it's not yes. a. Uh, and I'm sure uh, it's not that a, is, that is yeah, most yeah, and, and he rejects it. Um, but the reason why he rejects it is because he says that would make it more difficult for ordinary people because they'd have to ask whether yeah. that month is full or defective. But would you regard this analysis as some kind of intellectual exercise at the end of the day? I mean, the fact that he even you know bothers to write it down rather than just you know sit yeah, there I mean, and think about it. Yeah, intellectual in the sense that it's. It's a, it's a, just it's theoretical. He's asking why can't we do that? Why can't we do that? And, and if we did that, the calendar would be, would be more precise. And then he rejects it on the grounds that that would create more confusion among ordinary people. Yeah. I, I don't know anything about the history of the Mahzovite manuscripts. But if I understood you correctly, this is the only manuscript in which this section appears? Yes, so the Mahzal Viti is a very complex work. Um, it's a liturgical work. Most liturgical manuscripts we have from the Middle Ages are um, the creation of a scribe. And the scribe puts together um, bits of text which he wants to uh, amalgamate. And um, there is uh, what has been identified by Justine as a as a traditional Mahzor Vitri, so you can put together a list of maybe 10 manuscripts that have a certain core in common. But then they have they lots of, they all have lots of other appendices and other ah. bits and pieces which differ. Uh, all of this, nearly all, I mean, a, a very, I mean, I don't know all, but certainly maybe probably the majority of liturgical works in the Middle Ages contain calendar sections because part of the liturgy is to know what to recite on what day of the year, but then you need to know how to figure out what day of the year you're in. So there is always a sort of calendar section of one kind or another, and they tend to be very different. They tend to be updated, so the scribe will write one which is up to date for the time when he's writing. And it's partially on that basis that we are able to date uh, this text to uh, the first quarter, uh, the second quarter of the 12th century. But we could also uh, date the manuscript uh, uh, to that date. So this passage. Yeah comes from a larger discussion of the calendar? So, well, the passage I'm giving you is obviously part of a, of of a bigger uh, section. The article in Aleph is more than 100 pages long, it. so okay. it's, a, yes. it's quite a long text. Okay. I think we need to wrap yeah. it up now, yeah. because yeah. we are already yeah. a bit late for the previous session. So thank you very much. <laughs>